Our first guest is Mirandi Rewa. Mirandi is the author of Burnished Sun, a collection of short stories and novellas, including Fish Girl, which was shortlisted for the Stella Prize, and Stone Sky Gold Mountain, a novel which won the Queensland Literary Award for Fiction and the ARA Historical Fiction Award. It's also worth noting that Mirandi writes crime fiction under a nom de plume. <laughs> uh, MJ Under Gia. another name. Oh, that... Don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, with several books published both here and in the UK. Her new novel, which we're talking about tonight, is Sunbirds, and it's set in Indonesia during the period of the Second World War when Japan was advancing southwards. It's a wonderful evocation of life across a range of different social strata. Please welcome Mirandi to Mulaney. Mm, thank you. Now, Miranda, this novel is fascinating on so many levels, particularly because most Australians, myself included, don't have much of a grasp of Indonesian history from the last hundred years or so, despite Indonesia being our closest neighbour. And even saying that, I'm kind of stumbling because I don't know quite what to call the overarching society you're writing about in Sunbirds. Would you say it was Javanese, Indonesian, Dutch East Indian, Dutch colonial? What, what, what That's is interesting. It? So, yeah, I would say um, Dutch East Indies. So whenever I refer to it, I say um, the Dutch East Indies, it was when the Dutch had colonised it since, well, they were there since the 1600s. From about 1800, they turned it into the Dutch East Indies. I think the British had it for a few years in the 1800s and then under Raffles and then back again um, until, yeah, until the Japanese invaded and then a, they had a war of independence until 1949 and it became Indonesia. And I think just before that, I do have in the book, um, Anna refer, one of the characters refers to the native people as Indonesians because a few years before World War II, they'd come up with that term for themselves, Indonesians. Oh, okay. Yeah, the native people. So, in fact, you refer to some of them as called Indos. So Indos. So, um, in my book, yes. Yeah, so, I've got Indos who um, are of Dutch parentage and um, of Indonesian or Chinese parentage as well. So, they're like the Eurasians. And so, they're called Indos. And the interesting thing was, which is pertinent to my book, is that if you were Indo and your father, your Dutch father, um, accepted you, you were Dutch. Otherwise, you were like a, vil a village Indo, which nobody wanted to be because that was like the lowest strata. And then in the book, we've got the Dutch, obviously, who were the highest in society, and then um, the native Indonesians. Yes. Okay, so in fact... The, the you know, from Java, but all, all over, yes. The lead character, Anna, in the novel, she is the daughter of... Yes, so Indo, she's, is that right? I mean, so, so yes, she, her, so her mother is, is Indo, so she's yes. like um, Dutch, Indonesian, Chinese, but her father's um, Dutch, very well off Dutch, who owns a tea plantation. Yeah, so yes. I mean, maybe you could describe a little bit about what the situation of this family. Okay, so he's um, he is from Holland himself, and his family have set up a tea plantation in Chipanas, which is in uh, Western Java, which is sort of the area my father's from in Indonesia. And um, it's a tea plantation. They have a beautiful home. At the beginning of the book, um, it opens with um, they're having a sort of Christmas party, a Sinterklaas party at their mansion for everybody. Um, Holland, also just keeping in mind that the Dutch are in a, um, a strange position anyway there because they, you know, Holland had been taken over by the Germans at the same time, so they were sort of like locked into um, Dutch East Indies, Indonesia at the time. Um, and meanwhile, 
the Japanese were, were sort of advancing on Indonesia itself, or Dutch East Indies, so they were sort of in a bit of a pickle. But that, that advance of the Japanese, there's an extraordinary level of denial amongst, your, amongst all the characters there about actually what's happening. Yeah, I don't... The thing is, I, I guess for me, like, they were, they were slowly advancing, so they, they went into Malaya, and then I was just thinking lately that the British all left um, Malaysia and went to Singapore, of course not realising that Singapore was going to be even worse hit, you know, by the Japanese. So they thought they were sort of escaping, you know, the Japanese and went somewhere worse. Um, I think uh, what occurred to me when I was writing this, which was during COVID, was... I, I had a sense of, you know, that sense of not knowing. And even before, remember before even COVID got here, it was sort of like, you know, part of you is in denial that it's going to, you know, make it or it's going to be as bad as it yes. is supposed to be and we're watching it overseas and then it's advancing and it's advancing but you're still trying to get on with things. Like I remember my book launch for Stone Sky, it got up to virtually like three days before and it was still going to happen. It was like, you're going to have 80 people, you're going to have 30 people, you're going to have... 12 people, including your parents, you know, and then down to Zoom, <laughs> down to the first Zoom one in Australia. So um, I think it was like that. I think they would have made the most of their parties. I mean, we see that anyway in World War II. They made the most of their, like, balls and things, you know, like they really, like, celebrated when they could, like, yeah. knowing all these horrors are on the way, yeah. yeah. Mm. And so Anna, it's, I mean, this is a love story, isn't it? Yes. But it's not... Perhaps the, 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 the how to put this? It's like a love rectangle. It's like a messy well, I was rectangle. Say, is there a love, not a triangle. There's a love rectangle. <laughs> it is, yeah, going sort of on. diagonal. Like, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, so we've got um, Matthias, who's a Dutch pilot. For um, it's like KLM, but there was the K and ILM, which were um, the airline that went between Indonesia and um, Australia. So it went everywhere in Australia and he was a pilot for there. I got the idea from some... Um, my cousin has a friend whose father, as a baby, was rushed out of Java. When the Japanese arrived, his father was a KLM pilot and they were absorbed into the Allied forces because they couldn't go back to, to Holland anyway. So they were absorbed into the Allied forces here. But first they insisted their Dutch families were allowed to go um, be evacuated from um, Indonesia or Dutch East Indies and they were taken down to Broome. But then, of course, like... Broom was attacked, um, and that's where the book starts. Actually, is when Broom's attacked. I mean, we know a lot about Darwin being mm. attacked, but I, until I actually read your book, I, I, I didn't know that being yeah. an attack on, on Broom. Yeah, I wonder if it had to do with because it was a lot of Dutch people escaping, and and you know, oh, families you because it was Dutch people. It I'm wasn't wondering. Quite, I'm wondering if we don't so know bad. so much about <laughs> it because yeah, that's right. Because what it was was it was they all came in on seaplanes, and because there wasn't enough space for them to stay you know, with people in Broome, you know, for homestays and things, they slept on the planes and the Japanese attacked in the morning. So they all sort of got sunk and attacked that way. Yeah. And actually, in hindsight, yeah, I do wonder if maybe there's less known about it because it was actually a lot of the deaths were Dutch people, not, you know, or Dutch East Indies people rather than Australians. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Mm. So you mentioned your father just then before. because yes. your, your father was... A Chinese... Indonesian. He's Chinese-Indonesian. Yeah. Yes. And, I mean, I've already shown that I'm really pretty ignorant of Indonesian history, <laughs> but what I do know about it is that it was not easy being Chinese post-war in Indonesia. No. No, that's true. Somebody was talking to me about it before. Um, yes, they've had, they've had 
some difficulties. People don't really write about it a lot. Um, yeah, and, you know, there was that, there was that um, documentary a while ago about um, especially what happened in the 1960s, yes. you know, yeah. with the takeover. Um, yeah, it's quite political. I think it's to do with, you know, wealth and being outsiders. And, yes, so they have had a lot of difficulty. Um, I would say in the time before the Japanese invaded, um, they were probably, because they ran a lot of the businesses, they were probably a bit, a ty- you know, like they were a bit more in cahoots with the Dutch. Um, so they had a bit of leeway there. I know when the Japanese invaded, because they, and that was the other, the other aspect of the book is that um, these Indonesians, some Indonesians really looked for, first of all, they were, um, educated, a lot of the men like Sukarno and that, who were the leaders, were educated in Holland, you know, but that's where they learned all the, you know, about politics and, you know, um, so, and brought back ideas and, um, where was I going with this? But, it, yeah, so the Chinese were um, taken as prisoners of war by the Japanese as well when the Japanese came in because they were helping China and the Japanese had taken over China. Of so, course, yeah, so, so, I mean, the, the, the complexity yeah, in that so situation were, is just really... We're in a bit of re- trouble. Re- so my great-grandfather was in a prisoner of... He was a prisoner of war by the Japanese. But the Japanese had... That's what I was saying. The Japanese had um, promised the Indonesians if they invaded that they would get rid of the Dutch. So there were many Indonesians who welcomed... Were, you know, they called them Big Brother, the Dutch, yeah, uh, the Japanese. Yep. So, yes, yeah, so, I mean, that's one of the strands that's running through yes. the novel here. See, Actually, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering maybe just to give you give the audience a flavour of, of, of it. By sure, OK, me. I'll give a reading. So this is On the Plantation, Sarawangi, um, and this is at the Sinterklaas party. It's Anna. She's in the ballroom. And um, this is... Anna scans the ballroom for Matthias. Mania Bucker lurches past and slops champagne down her skirt. And as, as Anna steps to the side, Maria twirls past in the arms of Finn Damer and trips over his foot, colliding with Anna's shoulder. Her friend is drunker than Anna's ever seen her, even more so than the time Maria spent the night and they played sad songs in the gramophone and cried over her father's schnapps. In fact, everyone seems drunker than usual, even Willem. Usually her, fa- her brother holds his drink well, but tonight he's especially impudent, especially ready with his sharp tongue. She saw him cut poor Maud Backer off when she tried to offer him her arm into the dining room, and before that he'd kicked the new boy in the pants for dropping a platter of pastries. There's an urgency to everyone's revelry, what with the bright laughter and jerky elbows and feet dancing to the swinging beat of the drum and trumpet. The clamour of their gaiety almost drowns out the news from Europe and that from closer to home. Anna thinks of her father's British business associate and his family who've had to flee Malaya for Singapore. She wonders if they will stay there or find a ship home. It's hard to know what's possible, what's safe. Anna smiles at the boy as she takes a glass of champagne from his tray and taps her foot to the music and thinks how difficult it is to believe that the war in Europe could touch them here. Smile fixed to her lips, she hums along to the tune, more to soothe herself than anything else. The the song rolls into a new one without pause, encouraging the dancers to continue, and a few clutch their sides and laugh, try to catch their breath before they slide their hands together again, fall into step. The jazz band is the very best on offer, all the way from Batavia. It cost her father a pretty penny to have them travel to their plantation, but he would never skimp on his Sinterklaas party. 
Although the band is mostly made up of Dutchmen, Anna has heard one of the bandmates is from America and she wonders if it is the piano player or the tall trumpeter. Her eyes come to rest on the female singer with her carefully coiffed dark hair. Only a very expensive hairstylist in Batavia could achieve such a feat. And her gown with the shimmering bonnet and flowing skirt, almost as gorgeous as Anna's own dress, imported from New York. The singer's name is Rosa, and for months now, Anna's heard Willem and his friends sing her praises when they visit from town. She appears at all the best nightclubs and parties in Batavia and Bandung, and Anna's quite sure she's of mixed blood, just as Anna is herself, although the singer's skin is milkier than her own. She wonders if Rosa has a Dutch father and Prabumi mother from Java, or perhaps even a Peranakan mother with Chinese blood like her own. Either way, Anna is sure Rosa is Indo, just like she is. Although Rosa's voice is as sweet, as silken as a tailor bird's call, Anna thinks perhaps it is her swollen red lips or the glint from beneath her sleepy eyelids that the men find so alluring. Earlier that evening, she'd watched how Rosa gazed at Willem, how there was a knowing lift to her shoulder as she spoke to him. Anna lifts her own shoulder, wondering if she too could enthrall those around her if she were as languid, as controlled. But Anna isn't naive. She knows that beyond the men's lingering touch, beyond the admiring curl of their lips, there's a taint as honeyed as the scent of oleander to someone like Rosa. Men like her brother would never allow themselves to be captivated so far as to be trapped. And Anna is reminded of the murdered girl, Fincher de Vries. <laughs> Thank you. No, that was a really lovely reading, and it kind of brings up everything we've just been talking about. Yeah, because, it did actually. Be, because I was like, oh, I'm a, repeating myself. Uh, no, no, not, <laughs> not at all, because this is the kind of the nature of this household. There are, there, there are tensions between everybody as to... Mm. I mean, I, I grew up in Scotland in the 50s, and, and nuances of class were mm. everywhere. Mm. And you, but because I was brought up with them, I never even noticed them. It was only when I went away and came back right. that I could start to see what it was and how I was responding to different people simply because of an accent or a, or a, a, a facial expression or something, mm. you know, picking up the wrong thing in the wrong way. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, no, I just, especially Anna, because she's Eurasian and I'm Eurasian, I, she really has to, like, toe these two worlds. But she, actually, in the beginning, she's more Dutch, but she's missed out on doing everything a Dutch girl would do from, in, from Indonesia. They would have gone to Europe and gone to finishing school you know, hopefully their family probably hoped that she would meet, a, you know, a well-off, you know, European fellow. But the war happened, so she's stuck in Indonesia. And so she's, she's making choices and doing things and maybe even connecting more with her Asian side, more so than she would have if the war wasn't, like, a, you know, on the doorstep. Yeah. yeah. And it, it also kind of just at the end of the reading, you mentioned this girl who's yes. been murdered. And yes. there is... Within the novel, there is another. Uh, yes, there's a kind of play a novella. Within, a play within the play. Yes. Uh, so what, what's going on there? So what happened is while I was doing my research into Eurasian women in um, the Dutch East Indies, um, their position, there was a. I came across a Dutch academic who wrote um, an essay on. So this actual woman named um, um, Fincher de Fenix. Um, she was um, murdered in the 1920s that happened though and she did this paper on all the different ways she was represented like the Dutch newspapers or the courts you know and even like the the uh, she was a sex worker and she was married uh, she was murdered by a Dutch man so 
I mean, as you can imagine what, what, how she was portrayed compared to, you know, the Dutchman who'd murdered her and that was sort of like, oh, you know, why would he have murdered her and things like this, but also, so, and, and not believing other sex workers who said they'd seen it, you know, things like this. So she's just looking, and then there was also a Chinese writer who wrote a novelette, it was called, from her point of view at the time in the 1920s, but it was much more empathetic. So she was just did this paper on all the different ways this one sort of Eurasian sex worker had been looked at. So because Anna's Eurasian herself too, I have her reading in the newspaper about it and, the, and then there's the novelette that runs through the book about the, from the girl's point of view who's murdered. Yeah. yeah. And how yeah. she got how, yes. how how it came about really in some ways. Yes, yes. and yes. she's and meanwhile Anna's watching in the newspapers the court case and yeah, yeah. and in the meantime, what's happening there and all the yeah. the sort of sexism and racism I guess. And, yeah. and, and the Japanese are coming south. And, and the Japanese are coming. And, and, so and, much happening. Yeah, so and, much happening. And, and her 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 love. The, and the, there's, yeah, the, there's all the these ob- boys. The object of her love is um, wants wants revolution as well. So yes. there's, there's, there's a, a lot of different yes. things. And <laughs> the object of her love is is not the person who it should be. She's engaged yeah. to. So. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's a fascinating book, thank Miranda. You. It thank really you is a delight much. to read. And thank you. Thank you so much for coming to Millennium. Thank you for having me. About, thank oh, you so much. Our pleasure indeed. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you.